0: Good morning, church. Good morning. Man, it's good to see you in the house of the Lord today. Is it starting to feel like Christmas in here? Come on, isn't it beautiful? Man, thank you to all the, those that served and helped set things up. We are officially in the Christmas spirit today. We're glad you're here for it. Uh, Matt, if I could get a little bit more on this mic for service number three. I would uh, I'll invite you to open your Bibles today to uh, the Gospel of Hospitality. For those of you that are wondering where that is, it's the Gospel of Luke. Luke is uh, referred to sometimes as the Gospel of Hospitality because there are many tables in Luke's Gospel. In fact, there are 10 tables that Jesus sits at in the Gospel of Luke. And so what we've been doing for the last several weeks, this is actually week number three in the series, we've been going to each of those tables to find a seat, and what we discover is that each table in Luke's Gospel... There's an opportunity to learn something about who Jesus is and to learn something about ourselves and those that sit at our tables with us. And for those of you that uh, that follow some of these church traditions, you know that today is the first Sunday of Advent. And for some of you that maybe don't, you're thinking, well, what is Advent? We know that just means from now till Christmas, it is totally appropriate to eat one piece of chocolate every day. That's That's... That's Advent, right? You know, you just open the little box, get your chocolate out. Uh, But Advent is all about anticipating the coming of Christ. And, And I can't think of a better picture for our hearts and minds of an incarnational Savior than to see Him sitting at the table, breaking bread and fellowshipping. It is God with us. And so let me give you a little encouragement if you're looking for a rhythm for the Advent season to just draw near to Christ and anticipate his coming to make Christmas a little bit more spiritually significant. Uh, Since we're trekking through Luke's gospel, jumping from table to table, uh, I want to encourage you there's 24 chapters in the gospel of Luke. And so if you would just read one chapter of Luke's gospel each day in the month of December, you would come to Christmas Eve having completed the full account of Luke's gospel of Jesus Christ and you would be ready to receive and celebrate him on Christmas Day. Uh, if you're one of those people that are you hate being behind and you realize today is December 3rd and so you should have told me this last week, let me encourage you, just start on the 3rd start with chapter 3 and you're going to get to the last two days and go back and read Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2 which is the account of Jesus birth and and I would just offer that to you as a uh, as one of many methods for just leaning into this season of advent and and celebrating Christ coming to us. Let's go to Luke's diner again today. In the, the last few weeks, we've, we've been to tables one through six. But I want you to go with me today to table number seven. It's found in Luke chapter 19. If you have your Bible, uh, open it up, turn it on, get ready, Luke chapter 19. If you're a note taker, table number seven is a table for the hungry. This is the 1130 crowd, so I expect to get more amens at the table for the hungry, especially from the worship and media team who's been here since 7.30 this morning. Amen. Y'all ready to go to the table for the hungry? Amen. Let's, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Look at it with me. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was... Wealthy. Now, much like the first table we went to back in Luke chapter 5, Jesus sat at the table with Levi, who was a tax collector. And I said in week one of this series that tax collectors were kind of like the, the, the scum of Jewish society uh, because they worked for the Roman Empire. And so they were, they were taxing, uh, they were putting exorbitant taxes on God's people and they were lining their own pockets and getting rich from it. And people were astounded that Jesus would eat with Levi. But here in chapter 19, Luke uh, just specifies a little more clearly that Zacchaeus is not just a tax collector, he's the chief tax collector. So if there's one person living in Jericho that, that the people would love to stick it to, that's the man. It's Zacchaeus. Like, they do not like this guy. But there's something that I love about Zacchaeus, and it's in the next verse. Verse 3 simply says this. He wanted to see who Jesus was. I mean, come on. How can you not love that? He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, some of you, you heard that song as a little kid about the wee little man, and you're going, that's in the Bible? That's, I thought that was a nursery rhyme. No, that's really real. This is his story. He was a wee little man. He climbed up in a sycamore tree because he wanted to see who Jesus was. He's a man on a mission. He's got purpose in his eyes. And and not only do I appreciate that, apparently so does Jesus, because look at verse five. It says, when Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. I I like the way the the King James Version says verse five in, in that old English vernacular. It says, Jesus said, make haste and come down for today I must abide at thy house. I just sound smarter when I read out of the King James. Like, isn't that great? Jesus said, I must abide at thy house. You know, if you look up the number of people that that seek Jesus versus the number of people that don't, I mean, it's like one in a thousand. But here's the good news. If you look at the ratio of of people that seek Jesus and those that actually find him, the ratio is one in one. In, In fact, God gives us this incredible promise in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah 29 and verse 13, the Lord says, you will seek me. And find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And can I just say that offer still stands today? For whosoever will, if you will seek the Lord, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart. Now, think about all the excuses that Zacchaeus could have made. I mean, you know, he's a businessman. He's a wealthy man and and he can't get to Jesus and maybe for some people that would be reason enough well there's there's too many people here it's crowded it's inconvenient it's raining I, i'm not going out there i can't i can't come to Jesus or maybe when he realizes there's a tree here I could I could climb that tree I guess but then his mind starts you know going through the the thoughts you know I got my Italian leather loafers on here I might I might scuff my shoes I got my Armani suit on here today as the chief tax collector and so maybe climbing a tree would would be embarrassing maybe people would laugh at the 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 audacity of of a established businessman in the community climbing up in a tree just to get a look at someone walking by, and he did it anyway. Can, can, can I just say to somebody today, do it anyway. Amen. And you know what happened? He got the attention of God. The Bible says when Jesus got to that spot, he stopped. Something arrested his attention, and he said, I must go to your house today. I must abide at thy table today. Jesus went to his house. He sat down at his table. And I mentioned this in previous weeks of this series, but let me just remind all of us again that, that to sit at somebody's table in, in the, the, the cultures that underlie the New Testament uh, writing, it, it was more significant than just sitting at a table today. When you sat at somebody's table, you, you, were, you were saying, I want to abide with him. you. You were offering that person essentially the right hand of fellowship. You know, eating a meal together kind of brings us all to the same page. I mean, we're, we're all a people in need of, of sustenance. And, and in that culture, to break bread with somebody, to sit down at their table, you were saying, I, I identify with you. You're my people. I, I relate to you in the deepest sense. In fact, it was such a, a cultural uh, understanding that, that when Paul the Apostle was writing to New Testament Christians in Corinth, he actually warned them about who you eat with. Let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11, he says, but now I write to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister, but in reality is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Look at what he says. Do not even eat with such people. Now, he wasn't saying don't have fellowship with lost people no, he was saying for those that that say they claim to be brothers and sisters, those who, who say they're the people of God, but by their lifestyle, by their choices, it is well known that they are not. They're actually defaming the name of the Lord Jesus, and they're watering down the power of the gospel to change a life. Don't eat with those people, because we understand when people see who you eat with, they recognize that's who you associate with, that's who you identify with. To sit at the table with someone was to say you are... My people. And here's Jesus saying, I must sit at your table, Zacchaeus. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 55 and verse 1, it says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. If you have no money, come, buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without cost. It's, it's God prophetically saying through Isaiah, Whosoever will may come. You can come, and and the brother of Jesus, James, said in chapter four and verse eight of his epistle, he said, come near to God, and God will come near to you. That's the invitation that we see here at at table number seven. It's a table for the hungry, and it shows us that if if you will go after the one who can change your life with an appetite for his presence, your whole life will be changed. And that's exactly what happens here for Zacchaeus. He's completely changed. Read it on your own time, but right after this, when Jesus comes in his house, sits at his table, the Bible says that Zacchaeus gave half his possessions to the poor. Half of all he owned, he gave to the poor, and that wasn't even enough. It says that for every person that he had stole from, every person that he had cheated out of their money, he said, I commit today, I will pay back four times what I cheated you out of. And understand, in this picture, no one can even imagine that Jesus would sit at this man's table. And secondly, no one can believe that a guy like Zach could actually change his ways. No one believed that his life could be changed. And yet, in the next statement, Jesus communicates exactly how it happened and why. Look at verse 9 with me in Luke 19. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come. To this house. Can I tell you that's that makes all the difference? You, You you mean it it wasn't because Zacchaeus climbed up a sycamore tree, it wasn't because he went out on a limb, it wasn't because he risked his reputation, it wasn't because he paid half of his possessions to the poor or paid back four times what he owed. It's because salvation has come. this house. That's why the apostle Paul said in Romans 1 16 I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation and when salvation comes to your house all bets are off the impossible becomes possible and Jesus said for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost This Advent season is about anticipating the presence of Jesus. As we anticipate his coming and celebrate Christmas as a babe, we're also anticipating his coming the second time as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Can I just encourage you all on this first Sunday of Advent, let this Advent season be a season of climbing a little higher. Let this be a season of going out a little farther on a limb. Let this be a season of recognizing that I want to see who Jesus really is. And I'm not going to let my ego or my reputation or other people's opinions of me keep me from getting to a place that I can see him. Because there's a table that's spread for the hungry. Let's go to table number eight for a moment. Table eight is found in Luke chapter 22. This is a table of significance. It says in Luke 22, verse 14, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Now some of you, you Bible scholars in the 1130 service, you, you already know this is the Lord's Supper. This is the Last Supper and you know all of the, the, the implications of this meal. But let me just say, even if you've never read this before, if you have no idea where we land in the gospel narrative that Luke is writing, you can understand from the two verses that we've read this much that this table is significant. Like Jesus said, I, I have eagerly desired to share this meal with you, and I'm, never, I'm not gonna share this meal again until I come in my kingdom. And so right away, we understand that this is a table of significance. And we can all relate to it on that level. Like all of you have tables of significance in your life. Like for example, uh, I've eaten a lot of meals in the last 10 days, but I haven't eaten any meals that are more significant than the Thanksgiving dinner I ate 10 days ago. In fact, I'm pretty sure I haven't taken a single picture of a single meal since then. But but we recognize there are some meals that are more significant to us than others. This was one of those meals that Jesus invited the disciples to. Look a little farther, verse 17. It says, And after taking the cup, he gave thanks And he said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now this is a moment. I mean, at this table... Everything is about to change. When it comes to the Passover meal, these disciples will never look at it again the same. Now, if you're not familiar with the Passover, let me explain that this goes all the way back to the second book of the Bible. This is Exodus chapter 12. This is when when Moses is about to deliver the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt. God gives him a, a prescription for a meal. He says, I want all the people of Israel to eat. This meal. This is a Passover celebration. And then he told him, not only are you going to eat this meal and have this moment tonight, I want you to set your calendar by this meal. Like this is now going to be the first month of your calendar year. And every year I want you to eat this meal. And so for generations, they would celebrate year after year, the Passover meal. In fact, towards the end of Exodus chapter 12, The Lord says this in verse 26, he says, and when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? You tell them, this is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and he spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. So Jesus now sits at the table with his disciples and he says, this meal that you've eaten every year at this time for all of your lives just like your parents did, just like your grandparents did, just like your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents did, all the way back to Moses' generation, this meal, it now means something else. Now it means something more. This bread is no longer the bread that symbolizes the, the lamb that is sacrificed. The, the cup no longer symbolizes the blood of the lamb that that was spilt so that the death angel when he came would not bring destruction to your house. No, no, no. Now it represents my body. It represents my blood that was spilled for you so that when the righteous judgment of God comes to condemn sin and the wages of sin is death, that judgment will pass over your life because the blood of Jesus will have been applied to your heart. And he says, this is what it means now. But it wasn't just significant because he was saying, God's doing something great for you. It was also significant because Jesus was saying, God has something he wants to do in you. And God has something he wants to do through you. And so as incredible as this table moment is for us in Luke 22, what strikes me is that Jesus said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you. I've eagerly desired to eat this meal. And while we're never gonna share a meal that, that kinda holds a candle to that, to that level of significance, we all understand there are significant meals in our lives. There, there, uh, yesterday, I, I heard a testimony. Uh, Ginger led the, the women's ministry breakfast yesterday, and over 50 ladies here, right? It, it was more than just a meal. It was an opportunity to gather in Jesus' name to say God has done something for us as a people, and He wants to do something in us and through us. This coming Saturday, our young adults are going to be gathering for a Christmas party, and I, I know young adults are non-committal, and you know just going to hold out to the last minute and see if we have other plans that might pop up. But can I encourage you commit? Because it's more than just a party. It's more than just hanging out. It's more than just all being geographically located around this church. It's recognizing God's doing something. He's doing something in us. He's doing something through us. He's certainly done so much for us. Let's come together in his name. We have life groups that are meeting all over Lancaster and York County. Because people have recognized that there's something significant about coming together in fellowship not just in rows, but in circles and saying, God's done something for us. We are his his people, his own special possession. And he wants to do something in us and he wants to do something through us. Luke, I, I love that he's so careful to give us a description of Jesus' life and his ministry and his humanity as he sits at all these tables that we have displayed in this gospel. And But I'm also grateful that he doesn't just give us a description of Jesus' life and ministry, but he goes on to write a careful description of the early church. Uh, Luke, who wrote this gospel, would also write the book of Acts. And and when you look in the book of Acts, chapter 2, we see the birth of the church. We see the Holy Spirit poured out. All the 120 believers in the upper room begun to uh, just speak in an unknown language and as evidence of the power of God. And then another evidence of God's enablement is that Peter goes out into the street and he preaches and some 3,000 people get saved that day. And I love that we get that picture, but, but I'm also grateful that, that Luke kind of pulls back the curtain and he gives us a backstage pass into what life looked like to be in the church community from that moment forward. And right at the end of Acts chapter 2, we see the four priorities of the New Testament church. If you were a part of that church, you'd say, Well, what is our, what's our core values? What, what are the things that, that we're committed to? What are the things that matter most? Luke chapter 2 and verse 42 tells us what their answer would be. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so if you were to ask someone in that church to give a testimony of what God does, no doubt they'd tell you God changes lives around tables. And here's the reality. For most of us American Christians, we are on board with priority number one, the teaching. So important, so important. We're on board with priority number four, prayer. Prayer. God responds to prayer. We gotta be a praying people. But I wonder what would happen if the church in our generation would prioritize, be devoted to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. You know, studies show right now in America, studies show that, well, church attendance obviously declined for obvious reasons in 2020. But what the studies are showing now, we're three years removed from a global pandemic, and church attendance in America still has not bounced back to what it was before. And so the sociologists and the statisticians are telling us, uh, stop holding your breath. They're, They're telling us, pastors, stop using COVID as an excuse for your attendance. It is what it is. It's a new day, it's a new normal. Maybe you've heard that phrase. And, and, and so they're telling us, here's the reality. When we look at American culture today, we're not as religious as we used to be. That's what the studies show. But do you know what hasn't declined in America? Spirituality. So, so in other words, America is less religious now than it's ever been, but we're more spiritual than we've ever been. There's a spiritual curiosity in our culture. Do you know what else hasn't diminished at all? Even though no one is is required to stay in their home and be isolated and separated, you know what's risen? Loneliness. We might be more socially, uh, digitally connected, but emotionally, we are more isolated than any other generation. And, And so can I just say, as maybe religion... And and, and Christian form and tradition is on the decline. Spiritual curiosity is on the rise. And loneliness is at an epidemic state. Can I just present to you that this is the finest hour for the church to pull up a seat to table number eight. To to be able to invite people into a conversation, into a a place of significance. To be able to have a, a meaningful moment with people to say, Look, God has done something incredible for you. And God wants to do something in you, and God wants to do something through your life. The disciples, if you understand the context of this table, they're about to face the most difficult day of their lives. Jesus has already told them many times the Son of Man will go to the city, he'll be bound, he'll be beaten, he'll be crucified. He'll die. He'll, he'll be buried. But three days later, he'll rise again. And even though he told them that many times, they, they couldn't wrap their head around it. They, they couldn't believe it. They, they had developed the Jews had developed this idea of a dual messiahship because there are clear scriptures that talk about a sacrificial lamb and there are clear scriptures that talk about a conquering king and they couldn't make those two make sense in the same person, so they just decided on believing in a dual messiahship. So if there's two messiahs, one's gonna suffer, be mocked, be punished, be crucified and die and the other's gonna roll in and overthrow your political adversaries. Which one do you think they were looking for? Yeah, So they're waiting for Jesus to come in and occupy Rome and take over the Roman Empire and for the Jews to have their their moment of glory. And they can't make sense of what Jesus has told them is going to happen. They're uncertain about the future. And Jesus says to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. Can can I just say today, maybe you're even in this service and you would say, I'm facing uncertain times. I'm uncertain about my faith. Or maybe you would be here today and say, even in a crowd like this, I feel alone. I feel isolated. I feel like nobody gets me. My hope is, is that some Jesus people would pull up a seat in your life and say to you, I eagerly have desired to share this meal with you. I I have eagerly desired to connect with you in a personal way. I want to speak about the significant work that God is doing for you and in you and through you. And can I just encourage you today, don't live another day in isolation. Don't live another day questioning your significance. Listen, as a church, we have a core value that that simply says this, we're outward focused. It's one of our six core values, we're outward focused. Focus. And in the most simplest terms, let me tell you what that means. It just means we believe you belong at this table. Amen. That's what it means. We believe you belong at this table. And if you ever thought for a moment, I don't. I don't belong here. I don't belong at God's table with God's people. I don't deserve to, to break the bread and drink from the cup. Consider the next passage In Luke 22, verse 21 says, right after that, after he broke the bread and shared the cup, it says, Jesus said, but the hand of him who is going to betray me is on the table with mine. And don't you know in that moment, everybody at the table went, not it. You know, like, what what do you mean? What do you mean on the table with yours? It means Jesus knew before he invited them to the Passover meal, Jesus knew that the change jingling in Judas's pocket was the 30 silver coins he had already received as payment for betraying Jesus. And yet Jesus said to Judas, I've eagerly desired to share this Passover meal with you. Think about that. Jesus knew before the rooster crows twice tomorrow morning, Peter, my right-hand man, Peter, is going to deny three times that he even knows me. And yet Jesus said to Peter, I have eagerly desired to share this Passover meal with you. In fact, Jesus would say to all those men at the table, in fact, every one of you are going to fall away on account of me. And yet he said to every one of them, I have eagerly desired to share this meal with you. And through his death on the cross, he would give new meaning to the meal. And he gave them all a seat at that table, he gave them purpose, he gave them significance. There's nothing that disqualifies you from sitting at Jesus' table, not the things you've done, not the things you are planning to do that you know he disapproves of. He's unafraid to still say, I want to sit at a table of fellowship with you. I want to remind you of what I'm doing for you. And I want you to know I have a plan for you and a purpose that I want to accomplish through you. And I believe, as sure as I'm standing here, that every one of those men, including Peter and including Judas, had every opportunity to fulfill their God-given purpose. The only difference between Peter and Judas is Peter repented, Judas hung himself. That's it. They both failed, but they both had a seat at the table. Jesus offers us to a table of significance. Let me quickly take you to table number nine for a moment. This is a table of revelation. As we go to Luke chapter 24, a table of revelation, verse 13 says this, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other, About everything that had happened. Now, let me catch up to speed on everything that had happened since we're moving chronologically from table to table in Luke's diner. When they got up from table number eight, Jesus had shared the last supper, went into the garden of Gethsemane, prayed. Judas betrayed him. They they bound his hands. They beat him. They, They crucified him. They killed him just like he said they would. They buried him in a borrowed tomb and it was sealed with a stone. But now we're in Luke 24, and and table number 9 takes place on Easter Sunday. In fact, if you read the first couple verses of this chapter, you see it was early that morning that the women went to the tomb, and and they they found that the stone had been rolled away, and that the body of Jesus wasn't there. And then they saw angels who told them, he's not here, you're you're looking for the, the living among the dead, he's risen, go and tell the apostles. And they went back and they told the disciples, and they didn't believe them. Peter and John ran back and they looked and they found it just like the ladies had said. The stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. And still, they were distraught because they didn't know where the body of Jesus was. Some of them went back to the room and locked the door. These two men left town. It's over. And so they're walking down this seven mile stretch to the town of Emmaus and verse 15 says, as they walked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast And one of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that happened there in these days? In other words, this is front page news. Like I'm amazed at at people that would argue against the, the, the historical accuracy of or authenticity of Jesus' crucifixion. Like, that, that's, that's not secret or, or debatable. That, this guy's saying, everybody knows. You, in fact, you must be the only person that doesn't know what happened here this weekend. But look at Jesus' response in verse 19. He said, What things? Now, I love when Jesus asks questions because, you know, he's the way, the truth, and the life, he is the answer. Like he doesn't need the answer. So when Jesus asks a question, I love this because he's actually getting to a much more significant question. When when they say, you don't know what happened here? He says, what things? What he's actually asking is not what happened this weekend. He wants to know how do you see it? Oh, I know what happened. I want to know how you see it. So he asked them, what things? And they said about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped. Oh, there it is. There's the answer to the question. How do you see it? We see it with a past tense faith. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. And, and, and Jesus now understands, as they, they, as they articulate, we were, we were believers. We were all in. We were convinced. But, but then this weekend happened. Then the circumstances played out. The the worst possible scenario became our living reality. And now we're standing here with our head downcast. We're leaving Jerusalem, the place of God's presence. We're going down this seven mile stretch to Emmaus because our hope is past tense. We don't know what to do at this moment. Look at verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Man, wouldn't you love to have heard that sermon? I mean, here's Jesus And I love that he does this. This is so significant for for believers to to not miss this moment. Of all the things Jesus could have said to them, when they expressed, we we had hope, but we don't really believe anymore because we we, we saw him crucified, we saw him die, we saw him buried. Our hope was buried with him. Of all the things Jesus could have done in that moment, I mean, he could have said, look at the scars. Look at the nail prints in my hands. He, he could have done a miracle. He could have just opened their eyes, which had been veiled from his glory, and they could have recognized him. I think it's significant for Christians to note that the thing that Jesus did in that moment is he turned their eyes to the scripture. In other words, Jesus was saying, all the proof you need to have hope has already been written. It's hard for the person that says, well, if God would just do a miracle, I'd believe. You're holding a leather-bound miracle right here. God's word communicates every bit of revelation you need. And so Jesus says, you're foolish. You're foolish. Don't you know what the scripture says? And he walked them through God's word and he showed them all the places that spoke about himself. They probably talked with him for hours. I mean, it's a good two and a half hour walk, even at a fast clip. If you're going seven miles from Jer- uh, from Jerusalem to Emmaus and they're walking and they're talking with Jesus, and yet they have no idea who their traveling companion is. They, they got no idea that this is literally the son of God walking with us. And yet, even though they didn't know who he was, you know, they felt a connection. They felt drawn to him because when they finally get to Emmaus, Jesus continues on like he's going to go farther. And and the Bible says they, they urged him. Verse 29 says, but they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. They invited Jesus into their home. They invited Jesus to sit at their table. And this this is so, this is such a pivotal moment because their invitation is what leads to new revelation about who Jesus is. And, And table number nine is a table of revelation. And without, without this invitation, they don't get it. And, and can I just say, today, there are a lot of, of people that can relate and identify with these two men on the Emmaus Road. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I've, I've walked with Jesus for a while. I mean, I've walked with him through scriptures. I've, I've journeyed with Jesus for some time. I've heard the stories that point to him. But the reality is, I can't get past what I've seen. I can't get past what I've experienced. I can't get past the disappointment and the heartache that I've faced. And yes, I've, I've journeyed with Jesus for some time. But I struggle to keep my faith in the present tense because I've seen too much. I've been through too much. And maybe you would say like them, I had hoped, but that was before. And here's what I want you to see about these two men. If they had been content to just hear the story, if they had been content to just walk through the Scripture and and hear all the things that point to Jesus, they very well may have lived the rest of their lives seven miles from hope. And there's so many people that are right there. They've heard the stories. They've journeyed with Jesus, but... There's there's a a hopelessness in their soul. They show up on Sunday and we rehearse the truth again. And and it feels good. It warms your heart. But then we dismiss and we go our separate ways. It's like Jesus going on to the next next town. And the the only thing that's gonna make the difference is, is if you do what they did, they urged him. Stay with us. Stay with us. Don't don't let this just be a moment. Don't let this just be a story or something that encourages me or motivates me. I don't want the service to dismiss and for Jesus' presence to leave my life. Jesus, come in my home. Come to my table. Come in my heart. Stay with us. And that invitation brought revelation. Revelation. Look at verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it. And he began to give it to them. It's interesting, every time Jesus is serving at the table in Luke's gospel, he does those things. He takes the bread, he breaks it, he blesses it, and he distributes it. Verse 31 says, then, right then, Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. All this time, they had heard the stories. They had journeyed on this journey. And now, They recognize him. Their eyes are open. But then it says, and he disappeared from their sight. Can you imagine that moment? Like you're sitting at the table and you just had the most incredible spiritual experience of your life. You're looking Jesus eyeball to eyeball and then boom, he's gone. But you know what I love about this moment? Their faith doesn't disappear now. It's not like, oh, I, I can't see him anymore. I can't, I can't touch him. I can't, I can't be in his physical presence. No. They had already had a moment of intimacy. They shared fellowship at the table. Jesus abided with them. He came into their home. He came to their table. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 34 and verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, that the offer on the table is experiential it touches your senses imagine it like this imagine you you go out to eat after lunch today and because you're still hung up on table number seven the table for the hungry or table eight and you're imagine you go to a five-star restaurant and a veteran waiter comes up to serve you I mean and this guy is impressive The the, the menu is is exhaustive, but no matter what question you ask him, he knows how that dish is prepared. He knows all the ingredients that are in it. I mean, he can just answer every question, and you're just like, man, this is, I, I mean, it just sounds better hearing you talk about it. But you're still indecisive, and so when he comes back to the table, you're like, just tell me, what's your favorite dish? Now imagine if that waiter then responds to you and says, Oh, I, I don't have a favorite. I've never actually eaten here before. Like all of a sudden, his credibility just kind of bottoms out really fast. Like, wait a minute, I thought you were the authority on the kitchen. You mean to tell me you've never tasted the food? You've never experienced it for yourself? I want to tell you, friends, information, as good as it is, it's not enough to sustain you on the darkest weekend of your life. There are lots of people who are informed and hopeless at the same time. And they would say like these men, I had hoped. I had hoped until I saw what I saw, until I experienced what I experienced. And, and I don't know what to do with that, but Jesus invites us to a table of revelation to say, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know what? You don't need another sermon. You don't need another verse. You don't need more information. You need a revelation of the goodness of God, of his faithfulness, of his loving kindness in your life that will carry you through the darkest days. I love what happens after Jesus disappears Verse 32 says, they ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Like hindsight is twenty twenty, right? I mean, now that they know who he is, now that they've tasted and seen the goodness of God, now that they've called out, not just from a place of curiosity, but from a place of faith, stay with us. And he did. Now they're looking back and going, you know, all that time I was going to church and hearing the stories, and that was the Holy Spirit the whole time. You know how many times I've seen that same story play out? Time and time again, people are going, "Ah, you know, I just, I don't know. I just, I don't know. They're just full of questions. And then all of a sudden, they come to a place of faith. And by the way, friends, that's the place you got to come to, faith that just says, Jesus, come into my heart, stay with me. And then all of a sudden, they recognize, man, you know what? That feeling I felt during that sermon, that was the Holy Spirit. That was Jesus all along. I wanna invite you today to a table of revelation. If If you feel like maybe, God's presence is speaking to you. If you feel something burning within you, don't ignore that. Do do what these men did. Cry out to Jesus from, from a heart of faith and say, Jesus, stay with us. I mean, they couldn't exactly describe what was happening. They didn't really know what they were sensing. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. And then you know what? The beautiful thing happens. They don't stay there in the house. In fact, they run out the door. And the seven miles they just walked, they run all the way back. Seven miles, all the way back to Jerusalem. They burst in the door. They tell the disciples, hey, the women were right. The tomb is empty. His body's not there, but I can tell you where it is. We've seen him. He's risen. He's alive. And God God wants to give you that type of revelation courage that says, I I, I can't explain everything that happened, but I know that I know that I know I've been with Jesus. I've been with Jesus. And so I want to pray for you today as we end this service uh, to just honor the Lord's presence in this moment. Would you just stand, if you're able, all over this room, let's just stand to honor the presence of King Jesus Today, and I, I, as you stand, just take a moment. Maybe you want to bow your head to just focus your attention on the Lord. I want to just extend an invitation in His presence to a table for the hungry. He said, If you'll seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. Would you be hungry for his presence today? So hungry that that like Zacchaeus, you'd be willing to climb a little higher than you've ever climbed, go a little farther than you've ever gone, step out, leave your ego aside, leave your reputation aside and say, Jesus, I want to see who you really are. There's a table for the hungry today. I want to ask our prayer team if they would begin to to just get in place in the altar area in the front of the room and we've got prayer team members coming to the the center section of the auditorium if you're here today even even as I'm praying over you if if there's a hunger for more of God could I encourage you even now Just step out from where you are. Find one of these prayer partners. Allow them to begin to just pray with you, to agree with you that God is going to satisfy the desire of your faith with his presence. Jesus said, I must abide at thy house today. I want to pray today for those that might feel unworthy of coming to Jesus' table. He beckons you to a table of significance today maybe like Judas your hands on the table with his and you you recognize there there are things I've done maybe there are things you're planning to do that you know are not pleasing to the heart of God I want you to know today knowing what you've done and knowing what you will do, he is not afraid. He is unashamed to say to you, I I have desired to share this meal with you. I I want to bring you to a table where we we can talk about what God has done for you, what God is doing in you and what he wants to do through your life, if you're here today and you say, I, "I don't, I don't feel worthy," I don't feel worthy. Let this be the moment that you come to the table of significance. And God, I, I pray today that this would be a moment of revelation. That today would not be just another Sunday of of walking down that that long road from from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Let this not just be another time where we carry the weight of the world on our shoulders as we walk in proximity with Jesus and with his people, and we hear the stories about who he is and what he's done and what he can do. God, let this be the day that we cry out from a heart of faith, stay with us stay with me don't let this just be a moment that ends at the end of a service on Sunday come in my house come to my table be in my family be in my heart Jesus let this be a moment that we go beyond information and we experience the revelation that comes from saying Jesus stay with me I want to know you I want to taste and see your goodness Thank you, God, for the invitation to your table. We receive, Lord. We receive right now. Lord, minister to our hearts today. Bring healing in your presence. Bring transformation like you did for Zacchaeus. Let salvation come to our house. God, we rejoice in what you're doing. And it's in your name that we pray. And all God's people said amen. Amen, amen. Amen. Come on, if you love the Lord and his word, could you just give him some praise this morning? Thank you, Lord, for your presence today. Thank you for your word Listen, uh, as we get ready to end this.